Welcome to Chicago History and Automotive Heaven, Saturdays at 4 p.m. on WCPT, 8.20 a.m. With Richie Z, Chicago's historian and storyteller. Richie takes the mystery out of Chicago history. We're also going to do a segment called, If You Have an Automotive Glitch, Don't Bitch, Call Rich. Welcome, everybody. It's Richie Z here at WCPT 820 AM on your radio dial, 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon. You know, before I start today's show, Chicago History and Automotive Heaven, with Richie Z, who takes the mystery out of Chicago history, I want to just touch on one thing. You know, it's going to be the last time I'm probably going to do this little tip, but uh, we're going to have an election Saturday. So before the election... I'm hearing all these people, all this, man, I'm hearing a lot of crazy talk, but uh, all these people are going, well, what did the Democrats ever do? You know, they don't do anything. They just they mess everything up, right? Wrong. Because of the Democrats, they put through these uh, programs for the United States of America. Social Security was done by a Democrat. Medicare was done by a Democrat. Veterans Administration to help the veterans that fight for our country was orchestrated by Democrats. Civil rights was brought to us by Democrats. Women's rights was brought to us by Democrats. The Affordable Care Act was brought to us by a Democrat just recently was in the White House. I just want to mention one thing about that. I think it's like up to 63 times now the Republican Party tried to eliminate the Affordable Care Act, which has given, I think the numbers are approaching now, 50 million people that didn't have any kind of health coverage at all now have some kind of health coverage. And that was brought to us by a Democratic president. The Peace Corps was brought to us by a Democratic president. You know, we didn't have minimum wage, but a Democratic president brought that to us. And then unemployment insurance was brought to us by a Democratic president. So the next time you hear somebody say the Democrats don't whatever it is, that, the other, just shake your head. You know, I don't even know if it's... uh, Man, I want to just say it. You know, it's not even worth arguing about. So let's get into today's show, Chicago History and Automotive Heaven. I got some, we're going to do tips today, um, how to get you through maybe uh, this, uh, this cold weather, this snow and ice and all this other stuff. I got a bunch of tips that I've written many, many years ago. Folks, I've been on the air for 32 years. December 1st, I hope I'm still here. December 1st, uh, we're going to do um, my 33rd year. We're going to have an anniversary party of some sort. Uh, We'll do something. But I'm going to take you into uh, a little bit of the history of Chicago. Because it, it, you know, maybe I should even start out this show with Chicago. What Chicago is all about and how it got started. Yeah, I think, you know what, I think I should probably do that, you know. Number one, there was a lot of vacant land here, you know. um, So back in the 
1800s, they started coming to Chicago. Major, major companies started coming to Chicago. Number one, it's kind of like, oh, I would say in the middle of the United States. It's not far east. It's not far south. It's not real far north. It's, it's in a good location. So if you do things here, shipping it out to different parts of the United States would be a lot simpler than, you know, trying to... Uh, you know, from the south all the way up north or whatever. So that's one of the things. And then, you know, 1800s, right, folks? There was no real transportation when you think about it. There was only one way of transportation, and that was by the lakes and the rivers. So we had, you know, the, the Chicago River, and we had uh, Lake Michigan, which made things really really work for our town. And then very, very wealthy people. We're going to get into this when we, we're doing shows and stuff. We're going to talk about a lot of the movers and shakers that built Chicago. And then I got to just say one thing, because the things that have happened here, you're going to hear about today. You, we're going to do some stuff with. Um, it's it's unreal. There's something in the water here that makes people do what they do. Let's kick off today's show with, uh, I'm going to get into this one. The first blood bank in America was done in Chicago, Illinois, in eight, 1937, and it was done at Cook County Hospital. Now, Cook County Hospital, I'll tell you that right now, I, I we're going to definitely do that one because they completely, it sat vacant for, oh, God, probably 25, 30 years. They built Stroger's Hospital. Um, they claim it was going to cost too much money to modernize uh, Cook County Hospital to make it into a hospital. So they just closed it down, and at the time when they did that, it was going to cost something in the excess of twenty-five to thirty million dollars just to tear it down and and uh, haul it away and stuff. So they locked it up, and uh, you know, I just kind of give credit where credit's due. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle, the Cook County Board, actually took on this project a number number of years ago, and uh, she started working on. Putting people together, it was going to cost a half a billion dollars to uh, renovate Cook County Hospital. Now, I've been down in that area um, a lot lately. Last year, I, I had some medical stuff that I needed done. And uh, it's it's magnificent. I mean, the outside look, they added on to the back. I mean, I think it's, it's a hotel now, restaurants and I believe it's apartments and everything. I mean, it's really, really cool. I got to go in there one day. We're going to grab the camera and go down there. So, but the first blood bank was at Cook County Hospital in 1937. The largest food festival in the world started in Chicago, Illinois uh, in 1980. Jane Byrne really was the one that kicked this off. It was Taste of Chicago, July 4th, 1980. Over 100,000 people were expected to show up, but over 250,000 people showed up for this uh, festival. 
on our lakefront. And the only reason, you know, this is so successful and we can do what we do here in Chicago is because we have the park on our waterfront. So, but that was a real cool thing and it's still going on today. Um, I was at the first one. Well, the first one that Jane Burns started really uh, was on, uh, it wasn't on Navy Pier, it was at Navy Pier, but it was in the front. And at that time, the front was just gravel, and there was, I think there was railroad tracks there and everything. So, uh, but Jane Byrne started that. You know, we're going to get into a show we'll do with the history of Jane Byrne, too, uh, somewhere um, down the road in there. Chicago is home, well, in its heyday, to over 250 theaters. 45, well, this was an old stat. This one was printed a while ago, but um, I should talk about this, man. For the last 15 years, over 50 million people visited Chicago each and every year, um, with the exception of COVID. You know, everything was closed then, but uh, 45 million, or uh, over 50 million people visited. 2019, before COVID, we had a record-breaking 57 million people visited the Chicago, the city of Chicago. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really something. Uh, soap opera started here. The broadcast industry really started in 1930s broadcasting from Chicago, Illinois. The city is just really amazing. I mean, we were the birthplace of so many things. Um, we went into, uh, well, the pizza, let's get into that one. Home of the, the deep dish pizza, uh, Uno's was the first to have the deep dish pizza at 29 East, uh, Ohio Street and Wabash, and it was 1943 when that started. Douay's opened up down the street from there a few years later because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't accommodate all the people that were coming downtown for pizza. But this deep dish pizza started in Chicago. You know, when I was doing the tours back in the day, um, the restaurant magazine has different things that they, they check out and everything else. And Chicago was voted a few years in a row for the best pizza in the world. So that was really cool. Um so, I mean, it's just, it really is uh, an amazing, amazing thing. Well, the Chicago, let's get into this one. Um, spray paint was invented in Chicago in 1949. But you can't buy spray paint in Chicago today. Kind of crazy, isn't it, folks? They claim that it's going to stop graffiti. But I don't know about you, every time I'm driving in and uh, on any major highways or anything in any neighborhood. It's not just one neighborhood. It's anywhere. There's graffiti all over the walls. So uh, it's just, it really is crazy. The um, Art Institute of Chicago has the largest collection of impressionistic art photos, uh, not photos, but paintings uh, by Renoir, uh, and a lot of the other artists. Bertha Palmer 
when when we finished the 1893 World's Fair, she wanted to save the building, so they put together a fundraiser at the building for the wealthy people. She donated 29 of her paintings to be auctioned, no, to the Art Institute to give people something to come there with. Her collection was in excess of 300 paintings. When she died, I believe it was 1917, we're going to get into her stories too, but um, she had an, a, a collection of Renoir, Monet, and all of the impressionistic art. That was her thing. That's what she loved. She donated over 300 paintings to the Art Institute of Chicago. You know, people don't know this, but like the Art Institute of Chicago has, it, it changes out displays all the time. It has a huge basement with all kinds of uh, really, really wonderful things. So, I mean, that's a cool thing. Um, Western Avenue is the longest street to have the same name on it. It's 23 and a half miles with the same name, Western Avenue. A lot of the streets, you know, they have, well, one comes to mind, you know, Pulaski, and then they name it Crawford, and, you know. It's kind of crazy because I'm living in the suburban area now, and you're going down Main Street, all of a sudden it turns into some other street and then turns into some other street in the next town. Um, I think that's really kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, um, I want to get into some of the stories about Chicago. So let's, uh, let me play with this a little bit. Um, well, hmm. Okay, here we go. The Chicago flag, I gotta I gotta do this. We've all seen the Chicago flag. Um, it has three stripes on it, two blue stripes, three uh, white stripes. Or the flag is white, three sections of white, uh, two stripes blue, then it has four stars on it. So what does it represent? The three um, stripes, the three white stripes on it represents the north side, west side, and the south side. The two other stripes, the blue stripes, represent Lake Michigan and the Chicago River. And then the four flags represent the Fort Dearborn Massacre. Um, then they added uh, the other stripe, the other stars. Uh, oh, gosh, they're not here. Oh, here we go. Um, second stripe is actually the uh, Chicago Fire. Then the third uh, star stars are uh, the World's Columbian Exposition, and the fourth one is the uh, Century of Progress World's Fair. That's our flag of Chicago. You know, while I'm downtown in that, I want to I want to get into this one. Downtown is just an amazing thing. I talked a little bit about Daniel Burnham and his uh, his 1909 plan for Chicago. They they hired him to basically design Chicago, and that's where we came up with the grid system and everything else. But there's a couple of stories here about that. You know, in the uh, 1871, after the Great Chicago Fire, Potter Palmer owned about a mile worth of land on State Street in downtown Chicago. A lot of the people that were there prior, 
didn't want to rebuild because of the fire and they just, you know, they wanted out of here. So they were building Chicago at the time. Potter Palmer stopped them. He made them widen the street by 90 feet. Before the fire, it, it was like a, a zoo down. There was a mass rush hour. It was horrible. You couldn't get around. It was just really unbelievable. So by widening it 90 feet, you actually had a beautiful shopping district, and it worked out very well. Large sidewalks and everything else. So that worked out extremely well. Um, but when Daniel Burnham was doing the 1909 plan, he was doing Michigan Avenue. And where we know the Mag Mile is now, well, that was a lot more narrow. You know, it was a lot smaller also. But he made it extremely wide. But when you go down it, and you get to the water tower and the pumping station, you go from six-lane or eight-lane highway, you know, Michigan Avenue, down to two lanes in each direction, and extremely small sidewalks. That's what it was originally. If it wasn't for Daniel Burnham widening it and making it where it is today, we would never have the Magnificent Mile. Our shopping district down there is known to be as a quality as Rodeo Drive in, in uh, California. We have such wonderful stores there. And if you go down Chestnut, you really have the stores that are full with the elite and everything else. So um, the Magnificent Mile from the very beginning started, well, it was Michigan Avenue. It was called... Uh, a different name before. Back in the early days, it was called Dixie Highway. Uh, then it was called Pine Street. Then they renamed it Michigan Avenue. And it's just, it really is magic when you go down there, especially, you know, this this uh, winter, I'm going to definitely try to do this. I usually, you know, get a date and we go downtown and uh, park our car somewhere and uh, just walk the mag mile on one side of the street go for about a mile go in and out of stores you know stop in have a a cup of hot chocolate you know maybe a drink somewhere and some hors d'oeuvres or something you know i normally don't drink unless i'm alone or with somebody but uh been known to do that and the vertical mall is one of the most uh well it's the largest vertical mall in the world still to this very day it was completed in 1974 wonderful place also some of the stores have moved out i'm i'm kind of curious so we're going to go down there and we're going to kind of uh take a look around but that's that's a real cool thing to do during the day um park the car and just walk the the mag mile you know it's uh so in it you know the 20s it was a boom you know you had uh all the hotels go up the wrigley buildings we're going to do a story on um uh, William Wrigley, but uh, the Wrigley buildings went in. The first one went in in 1921. Second one was completed in 1924. Then the Tribune Towers across the street, Colonel McCormick, that was really uh, an interesting thing. Back in the day when they put up the, uh, when they started doing the uh, the Wrigley building, what they did was they hired, well, they had a contest for architects. 
draw the building. The winner gets $50,000, plus he's going to be involved in building the building. So um, that style, they took a lot of things from a lot of different places, um, but a, a lot of European stuff and that. But Colonel McCormick came back. He was in charge of the uh, newspaper, the Tribune, and um, the WGN thing was started with them, with that corporation. Uh, WGN stands for, you know, TV and radio. WGN, the call letters stand for World's Greatest Newspaper, the Tribune. But they also have, if you go by the uh, Tribune Towers, you look around the whole outside of the building, they have all kinds of uh, artifacts from all over the world, from the Mayan ruins to the, uh, you know, just from all over the world, and there's pieces um, in the building. So that's, you know... We're getting close to the uh, December 1st uh, date, and in Chicago, I'm going to touch on this one. I really don't do a lot of this. I just want to touch briefly on this one because uh, it was a fire at Our Lady of Angels School. It was 909 Avers Avenue in Chicago. I was a very young person at the time. I was about four years old. But I remember seeing that on TV. I think we had in excess, we had about uh, 90 uh, students and three nuns that were uh, that were lost in that fire. The one thing that uh, I want to touch on, because I've done this with everything that I do in a story like this, was uh, it changed the way Chicago, but it also changed the way the world dealt with things like this. There were no fire drills before that. There there were no fire exits. The hallways were very small. You had a lot of kids in there. Um, so they started tearing down schools that were not safe, but actually put in fire. There was no fire alarms in these schools or nothing. So these kids were trapped in these schools. Like I say, 90 um, passed away. This was... Um, December 1st, 1958, Our Lady of Angels. Uh, sad story in Chicago, but we learned a lot from it. I remember when I was a kid, we had fire drills, and sometimes they'd have us come out of the school in the middle of winter, and that wasn't too much fun either. But uh, that was uh, that was really something. So Chicago has always learned from the things, the tragedies we've had. Mercy Hospital was actually started in 1846 on the south side of Chicago. Um, 1860, the Civil War. You know, we had the Lincoln and Douglas debates here in Chicago. This is a political season right now. So let me get into um, President Lincoln. And uh, he announced his candidacy in Springfield, but then he came to Chicago. And Lincoln and Douglas had a debate in downtown Chicago. Now, I don't understand how this worked back in the 1850s because it was like no microphones, no nothing, you know, but people showed up for it and everything else. The newspapers were there, and a lot of stuff was done. Um, Douglas had a vice presidential candidate. His name was... Um, 
John Logan. John Logan went on to um, become a general. His name was General John Logan in the Civil War, and he actually helped Lincoln, you know, win that war. So that was really something. But John Logan went on in Chicago to become a senator in that, and he's the one that orchestrated so many really cool things. We actually have Logan Square uh, in Chicago on the north side around Bucktown area. Uh, if you ever been down Michigan Avenue, around Michigan and 8th, you have the um, horse on a statue. They're on a, like, they're on a little hill. That's General John Logan. Um, they put up a, a tribute to him. You know, they give away poppies on the day when they collect money. And that red poppy that they give you, that was John Logan's idea. That was to significate the, that the significance was that the bloodshed that was on the uh, battlefield in the wars. So that was another one of the things that John Logan did. And supposedly, well, Soldier Field was actually called Municipal Field when it was completed. And John Logan was the one that actually had it renamed Soldier Field because of a tribute to soldiers. Also, Navy Pier was Municipal Pier when it originally started, and it was renamed Navy Pier to honor the uh, veterans that served in the Navy at the time also. So Chicago is just an amazing city. You know, I do a lot of things. You know, I want to get into something right now before we cut to the break. Uh, we'll cut to the break in a short time. But uh, on my website, there's so many stories. There's so many wonderful. There's over 100 radio shows. So if you're liking these stories and that, we've done, you know, over 100 there. And we also have, um, we also have 80 television shows. But the radio shows, the people that are vintage in age like myself, you know, will will relate to this one because um, I do the story of the Riverview Amusement Park. But I tell the real story, the whole story. I'll give you just a little bit of it if you'd like to hear the rest of the story. As my friend Paul Harvey used to say, um, you'll go to the site, but the... Uh, they want people always want to know it. It was it was really a devastating time when Riverview Amusement Park closed. People were just so angry and and it, it really was a sad day because they were around from the early 1900s. The Schmidt family started it. It was a shooting range, and they would shoot because across the river there was nothing back in the early days. Okay, so they didn't even have to worry about the bullets or anything on the other side of the river. And they started building this amusement park, and the Schmidt family did a, a wonderful job. They became very successful. They kept adding rides and this and that, and it became Riverview Amusement Park. Laugh away your troubles. Laugh your troubles away. But uh, by the, well, the heyday of Riverview Amusement Park, now it started in the early 1900s, right? The busiest time, the best time they ever had there was after World War II. Soldiers came home. They took their girlfriends there. Women went to meet guys there and everything else. It was just really, really a cool time. 
you know, people came from all over the world to go to Riverview Amusement Park because that was the only thing like that, you know, around. So it was very busy. They made a lot of money. Everything was really cool. But by the time the 50s rolled around, the late 50s, early 60s, they built a lot more amusement parks all over the United States, number one. Number two, the kids in the late 50s, early 60s, didn't do what their parents and grandparents did because that was, you know, there was a lot more. And I tell the story all the time because this is a kicker, folks. Um, In the day when muscle cars came out, I was a very young person, but I started driving, and it was just a kick, man. And, uh, man, I lived at a time where mini skirts and go-go boots and the girls dressed to kill for the guys and the guys dressed to kill for the girls. And, and if you had a cool car, you'd have a nice girl to go out with. So uh, Riverview Amusement Park by the middle 60s um, wasn't doing well at all. Their attendance was off by half. And the park just needed at that time about $2 million worth of, you know, just repairs and paint and clean up and just, you know, Simple things. So they were losing money. They needed $2 million in repairs. And here comes a contractor. Here comes a, a, a developer coming in. And, you know, rumor has it that somewhere around $12, $13 million it sold for. They sold it, and it was torn down almost immediately back in 1967. So um, take you through that story. I think we're going to cut to a break now, and we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy Chicago Stories with Richie Z on your PC or smartphone. Over 100 radio shows, over 75 television shows. Tune in at RichieZ.com, R-I-C-H-I-E-Z-I-E.com, or you can call Richie direct at 312-841-2560. Become a sponsor on the show. Call me again at 312-841-2560. Welcome back, folks. Uh, We're going to get into a segment. uh, I'm not in the city right now. I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, taking a few weeks off here. But we're going to get into the shows that we're going to be doing. Um, We're going to do a segment uh, I've done, and it was very popular in the past. We're going to do trivia. So you're going to answer questions, and you'll get, uh, hopefully, tickets to something. Uh, I'm working on uh, uh, tickets, and I'm working on some discounts for my my tours. But um, the first person that emails me at rautomd at gmail.com, I'll send you two tickets to the Claremont Collection Auto Museum in Chicago, Illinois. Over 300 vehicles are in this beautiful museum. Two blocks, two city blocks long. They have over $80 million invested in this collection. It's at 3117 North Knox Street, Chicago, Illinois. It's around Belmont and Cicero. So it's uh, it's open uh, Thursdays through Sundays, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Try to get there early. There's two levels. It's just really a... A spectacular thing. Like I said, the first person, first email that I get, uh, I'll send you two tickets to that. And we're working on some other uh, 
other places to get tickets and stuff like that. We're, uh, we've been talking to the Auburn Court and Duesenberg Museum. Now, on my podcast site at richiez.com, on YouTube, on my, my podcast site, um, there's over 75, 80 television shows and over 100 radio shows. But we have 18 shows from car museums. You go there now, You the site is all brand new. Everything's redone. So you go to the page, and you can open up Chicago Tours or A Journey in Faith or car museums or, you know, and it'll open up to that page, and then you can pick up from what you want to read. We're also going to be doing, uh, probably next week's show, we'll be doing a segment called If You Have an Automotive Glitch, Don't Bitch, Call Rich. Uh, it was really, it worked out really well in the past. We've done a lot of great things with it. So we had a lot of fun with it, too. But we I was able to answer most of the questions that uh, that the people have. So it was really, really cool when we were doing that. Now we're going to get into something today. I want to get into my money-saving tips. Um, this is, this one... It pops up every once in a while. And with the price of gas today, don't waste your money. Okay, premium gas. I've talked to people where they go, yeah, well, I use premium in my car. I go, why? It's, you know, it's nothing high performance. It's not, it's not, it's this, it's that. Well, you know, it's better. Well, that's not true. It's not better. It's worse. Putting premium gas in it. The cars today are so sophisticated with the technology and everything else. Some of them have anywhere from 25 to 50 onboard sensors and computers and signals and everything else for what the car should be doing. Now, they're designed to run on the octane that they're designed to run on. Putting a higher octane in may even in the long run damage your car, but you're also spending a lot more money. So definitely do not use that. Winter's here, you know, it's it's around the corner, folks. Um, there's a product that's called um, Heat. It was around when I was a kid. I mean, and everybody used it when, when I was young because back then, the tanks in the ground where the gas stations are were all made of iron. So when the temperature started to change, they would condensate, so there would be moisture in the uh, in the tanks. So when they were pumping gas, and gas was a very um, smelly and nasty thing. It was more more petroleum was in it. It was just really, really bad. Today, the refineries, man, they make the gas. You can't even smell it. You know, it's just really, really clean and clear, and your cars are running better. So. You can save a lot of money. Um, don't don't buy that heat. I'll, I'll give you one thing. If you have an older car like I have, you know, something with close to 100,000 miles on it, there's a product called Seafoam. And Seafoam will actually clean your gas lines. It'll, it'll clean your injectors. It'll burn any carbon off and stuff like that. Uh, I ride motorcycles, and... You know, when I go to start it up in the beginning of the season, the gas is set for a while. The gas today is better, cleaner, and all of that, but it doesn't last as long. And then Illinois, we have a, a, a sad thing here. It's one of the reasons our gas prices are higher. 
Everywhere else in the United States, they have two blends of gas, winter and summer. Here they have four blends of gas, winter, spring, summer, and fall, which costs us more money per gallon, okay? Now, another thing, especially now, getting into the cold weather, but this is something you should kind of, and I understand where everybody's coming from, you know, filling up your car is, uh, you know, I, I've spent up to $75, $80 filling up my Flex, and it doesn't have that big of a tank. So, But if you keep more than a half a gallon, half a tank of gas in your car, it's better for your car. It'll save you in the long run. You're going to have to buy the gas anyway, correct? Yes. Okay. So the reason I tell you to do that is because 95% of the cars today have, or I would say probably all of them, but 95% of them have the... Um, fuel pump inside the gas tank. Now, when it gets about halfway, the pump is exposed to air. It's not sitting in gas. So it kind of dries out. The seals and stuff will dry out, and, you know, you might have to be replacing the fuel pump. So that's not a real, real cool thing. And I've talked to some people where, the pump alone costs like thirty or, or three hundred some odd dollars, four hundred dollars, and they got to drop the tank. There's a five, six, seven hundred dollars it could cost you to do that. So that's not a real uh, cheap thing to do. So my tips will save you some money, and you know, driving tips and that. Slow down. You know, this one. I you know, I'm driving to work now. I was I was doing a gig downtown for a couple of weeks now and I had to drive in down the uh, 290 expressway in the morning and man I learned one thing if I left home before six o'clock I get down there about 35 40 minutes if I left 10 after six it would take me an hour to an hour and a half depending on you know so but here, slow down. This is for snow and ice, better handling, black ice, okay? They call it all kinds of things. Man, it, we're going to hit this season right now where there's going to be ice on the ground or there's going to be snow on the ground. Just slow down. You know, oh, I want to get there faster. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fast. I'm going to tailgate somebody. I, man, I leave a car length or, or two car lengths in front of me, if we're doing 50, you know, on a snowy and icy day, you know, because you're going to need probably three car lengths to stop if you're doing over 50 miles an hour. We all got these vehicles. Now, I have a vehicle that has all-wheel drive. So, man, I can go anywhere, and I'll go through anything. But stop that sucker? No, you're going to, you know, and every year, and I've been telling these tips for 25 years easy, I've been doing these tips and stuff. Every year, it's the same game. Same game, folks, where after that first ice storm or snowstorm, you see cars all over the place with front-end and back-end accidents because people just don't slow down. So if you hit a patch of ice and you start to skid, take your foot off the accelerator, 
and just steer to straighten everything out. Don't slam on the brake. Don't do any of that. Try to straighten out the vehicle and then slowly, you know, hit the brake. Well, I know if you're going to hit the car in front of you, what are you going to do? You're going to jam on the brakes. But that puts you in a worse skid, too. You know, one thing I want to, you know, we're going to get into this. They're claiming we're going to have a very, very uh, bad winter. Now, we haven't had that for a number of years. Now, well, we had a lot of snow last year, but uh, um, hitting that brake pedal too hard is just going to make your car go crazy. It's going to, you know, you're going to go into a skid, you go sideways, you know. A lot of cars now have the anti-skid, which I have in my car. But again, leave that room in front of you. You know, don't pump the brakes. All cars, I think, I think everybody's got the um, braking system, disc brake braking systems, and they actually pump the brakes for you. So, like, you couldn't even pump fast enough to do what they do, and that'll help stop, you know, your your vehicle. Um, with this snow and ice and that, um, you know, if there's a lot of snow on the car. Try to get it off because you're pushing all that weight. You're, you know, you're moving all that weight with you, so you're burning a lot more gasoline also. Driving at night, uh, be extra cautious. Vision is very poor. Lately, I've been hearing a lot of these uh, hit-and-run incidents and this and that. I personally, I'm sorry, but I'm going to just tell it like it is. I attribute that to um, the texting. I, I believe that people are texting, and uh, it's it's causing a lot of that stuff to hit, you know, at night and stuff like that. You can't see. Even during the day, they're doing this. Um, <laughs> this one I love because I've seen this on the highway, and I was just, oh, gosh. It was last, it was last season, close to the end of the uh, winter. A guy goes by me, and it was it was cold. It was raining out. But it was kind of, you hit like patches, you know. I was doing probably 50 on on uh, the highway. And a guy went by me probably doing 70, 65, 70. We didn't even get uh, a couple miles down the road, and this guy slammed into somebody. And what was really killer, when you're doing that kind of speed, and, when, and it's crazy out there, um, you send that car and yourself into, like, you know, different lanes and everything else. So they were blocking, like, two of the lanes on the, these two cars that were involved in the accident were blocking two lanes. Um, you know, to save money, I just did this because, I, well, I, I'm doing tours and stuff, but I had a bunch of stuff in the car. I did a bunch of things, and I had tools. I had all kinds of stuff, so I took everything out. But I probably had an extra... 100 pounds in the car. But for every pound you have, you're paying to move that extra pound with the gasoline and everything else. So get the stuff that you don't need out of your car. It's a good time now because I know what's going to happen the first day it snows. You'll be looking for the ice scraper and the snow brush. It's a good time now to find them. Make sure you have them handy. Maybe put them in the back of the SUV or in the trunk of the car. So when you need it, you'll have it. I give this tip out a lot. Man, I did it to my car just a few weeks ago. I detailed the uh, the car, the interior and exterior, but the uh, exterior. Man, you want to really 
see better and, and be more comfortable and elegant. I mean, just the whole thing. There's a product I'll call Rain X. I put this on my glass and I, exterior only. I put it on the mirrors and all the glass. Water just now, you don't even need the wipers on if it's raining and you're doing 20, 30 miles an hour because it just it beads right off. You, It's no problem. But the thing I love about this, and I've been doing this for many, many years, and that is it, when it's icy out, you know, it's raining out today. Uh, tonight it's going to get below, uh, below freezing, let's put it that way. You come out tomorrow, there's a quarter of an inch of ice on your whole car. You start scraping the glass, you'll scrape your whole car in two minutes or less. Because if, once you get started, it'll just come off in sheets. So better vision. You know, I tell people all the time, and I, you know, we all see these cars going down the street where they just got the front windshield cleared. Nothing else. No side doors, no side glass, no backlit, nothing. Just the, well, I don't care for those kind of people. And I don't even want to drive around them. I, I try to get away from them, okay? Because they're just an accident waiting to happen. So that's another thing. You know, one other thing, they make something called snow blades, which are covered in, in uh, rubber and that. You know, we've all experienced where the, uh, windshield wipers are frozen, and, you know, we have to get out and try to clean them. The best way to clean the wipers, you know, in a situation like that is just lift them and then let them fall back onto the glass. But if you buy a pair of snow blades or quality, uh, they make now wiper blades for designed to, to repel snow and all of that. I'll give you a trick, though, uh, right now before, you know, I'm sure a lot of you out there have this situation. We all do. And that is your wiper blades are actually smearing when it rains out. I see a lot of you smirking. You know what you can do? I'll save you some money here. Take a, a terry cloth towel. Take some glass cleaner or windshield washer antifreeze even will work. Put it on a cloth. Lift your wiper blade and then wipe it. You might have to wipe it 10 times before you don't see black coming off of it. The black on there is just, uh, you know, acid rain and, you know, just dirt in the air and everything else. It sticks to that. Mother Nature turns up the temperature and bakes it into it. So um, you can clean your wiper blades and get a lot more use out of it. You know, we got some time. Yeah, good. I'm just going to hit something that I think is real important, especially now. Open the hood on your car. Check. I mean, I've, I've, I got a new editor and, and he's helping out. He's doing a great job with us and everything else. He come by one day and he says, "I got a problem with this." So we open his hood. He's down a quart and a half of oil. He's down about a pint of brake fluid, and he's down about a half a gallon of antifreeze. And I said, "You know, do you ever check this stuff?" He says, "Well, no, I should, but I." I don't. His hood wouldn't even latch properly because it was so corroded. He's got an older vehicle, and I understand that. But uh, I took out the WD-40. Well, I, no, I didn't use the WD-40. What I used was there's a penetrating oil by this, uh, by this company I, I worked with. It's called Seafoam. It's called Deep Creep. 
it's the best penetrating oil I've ever found. So I sprayed his lock. I sprayed the whole assembly. Um, we put all the other fluids in his car. I popped my own hood, folks. Yeah, you guessed it. I was down a quart of oil. Everything else was fine. My antifreeze and my, my windshield washer antifreeze was good, and my brake fluid was good. But I just did a brake job personally on my vehicle this summer, so that was, uh, it wasn't fun, but it was fun. It was okay. Get into now the oil changing of the vehicle because that's, uh, man, that's more important than, you know, I don't like this stuff they got out now. The oil can go 25,000 miles or, you know, 10,000 miles or whatever. I'm not a big believer in that. I got to check into some more of that stuff. But, uh, you know, the oil in a car is like the blood in a body. So if your blood just keeps recirculating and it doesn't, you know, get cleaned out or this or that, um, man, your body's going to take a beating. Well, your engine. I've taken engines apart throughout the years. You know, I, I owned a body shop for 15 years. I did a lot of auto repair. I was vice president of the Automotive Service Association for the state of Illinois. I handled a lot of meetings and stuff like that. Um, I like changing my oil every two to 3,000 miles, 2,500 to 3,000 miles. Make sure you get the car lubricated also. I just bought my Flex, and I hit one of those uh, man-eating pot potholes, I want to call it. So uh, we needed a ball joint. Uh, we needed a tie rod end. We needed, you know, there was a bunch of things that happened. Once we started messing with the front end, I went for the alignment, and we found out we needed the, uh, you don't do a ball joint. You do a ball joint that's connected to the lower control arm, and then you got to buy a special bushing, and... By the time we were done, it was like it was a lot of money. We did the uh, um, struts and the springs and all of the parts for the front end. My when I first bought the car, the uh, rack and pinion went out. So, um, but check underneath the car because uh, I when I got it, I took it in somewhere and they were going to do an oil change and that. I said, "Well, lubricate it." Oh, you can't lubricate these new cars. Well, when we did the ball joint and that. Uh, I looked, and the lower control arms all had lubricating spots. So check to see if, and if you got a vehicle like I have with the all-wheel drive, lubricate the back. You know, before I run out of time, I want to just tell you a little bit about something that's going to really save you a lot of money. You know, I, my tips save you time, money, and aggravation, okay? But here, um, we're going to get into this mad-eating pothole season again. And uh, number one, number one, number one, man, folks, get out there and check the air on your tires. Fill them up to whatever it's supposed to be. How do I find out where the tires should be inflated to? On all the cars nowadays, for sure, on the door jam, driver's door jam, usually in that jam somewhere, either on the door or the jam itself, there's a sticker and it tells you the size of your tires, front and rear, but it also tells you how much air you're supposed to have in them. So fill up the tires with air because if you hit a pothole, chances are if your tire's full and you don't hit the brake, you're going to go through the pothole and not have any damage. If you hit that pothole and you slam on the brake, that wheel's going to stick in that, in that hole for a second, but then you're going to get all the front-end component damage. So you don't hit the brakes. 
But if you have all the air in the tire, you might be able to bounce through that thing without having any damage whatsoever. That one really is a, a great tip that you should know about. Um, there's, you know, the air filter will give you better gas mileage. I want to talk to about that for a, a little bit here. Um, but there's something, when I got my car, it was kind of a, I don't know, just kind of a smell inside. So um, I looked it up. I went to uh, YouTube, in fact, and I punched in cabin filter. But I couldn't find it anywhere. Well, I had a cabin filter, but I had to open the glove box, pull it down all the way, and get it out of the way. And under that, there was a door that I had to open and then get that cabin filter out. Well, that filter probably was never changed. The car had about 100,000 miles on it. When I changed that filter, I had better air quality, so the air conditioning was working a lot better. And not only that, it smelled a lot better in the car. So that should be changed often also. Um, you know, like I was saying, um, well, rotating the tires is also important. You know, change the filters. Get your, get your money's worth out of your vehicle. Empty the weight out. Uh, combine your trips if you can today, especially with the gas prices. You know, I'm Richie Z. We're getting close to the end of another show. You can contact me at uh, 312-841-2560. You can email me at rautomd at gmail.com. And then my website is richiez.com, R-I-C-H-I-E-Z-I-E.com. I'm at the end of another show. See you again next week. Thanks for listening.